Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. What's going on, DMV? Hope everybody is doing well this afternoon. We're broadcasting live on both 1067 The Fan and the Team 980 today, both on your AM, FM dial. We are also on the Odyssey app and the stream at thefandc.com and the team 980com However you're tuned in today, we appreciate you hanging out with us for just a bit. I am Danny Noakes, Mike Barr in studio producing the show. Two hours left to go. In our program today, we'll hand it off to Toby Altizer coming up at 3 o'clock. Lots of NFL and college football in that first hour. We're going to continue that trend here for the next couple of hours as well. We're going over to the BetQL guest hotline. Bet smart and beat the books with BetQL. We're welcoming in a very good friend of mine. He is a former All-Big East offensive lineman at Virginia Tech, a podcast host, my co-host, as a matter of fact, and the founder of Victory Life. Dwight Vick is with us now. You can find him on Twitter at Vic757. Dwight, always a pleasure to catch up with you, buddy. How's everything going today? Man, it's great, man. God has blessed us with some great weather this weekend, this weekend. So I'm out here, man. I'm out here in uh, Tyson's enjoying it right now. Okay, so so that was my next question for you. You know, I know you do a lot of work on Saturdays. I was wondering if you were going to have the chance to sit down, watch a good bit of these college football games today, because we got some good ones, including one that's going on right now. Yeah, what I do is I, I'll turn on uh, uh, XM radio. I have my phone. I got the alerts, so I have a, you know, not to get any trouble with the laws. They're listening, but I got my um, my <laughs> dash, and I put my phone on it. You know, that holds it, and I just I'll have it on, but. Um, I'll be home for, you know, the good games. I mean, I'm keeping an eye on Colorado, even though it looks like USC is about to humble them as well. Um, still early mm-hmm. in that game, but, um, you know, they've been the story of college football, so I'm always watching what Dion and company are doing. And, of course, checking out ACC and some other matchups, man, um, with different conferences. I, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a college football guy, college basketball and football guy, so I, I love days mm-hmm. like this. Yeah, I, it, it's funny because I, you, you always classify yourself having grown up a fan of the Duke Blue Devils basketball program, but but you're a hokey yourself, so things changed somewhere along the lines, and, and that's totally understandable. But, dude, so you, you mentioned Deion Sanders. You mentioned Colorado. Obviously, USC is leading them in their noon kick today. Last time we checked, the score was actually 21-7. to Colorado had put up a touchdown, unless ESPN's GameCast is wrong. <laughs> but there's a war of words going on in college football right now, Dwight. And it's really nothing new, but but there's been a, a couple of high-profile incidents here recently, right? And Deion Sanders, no surprise, has been at the center of most of it. First went head-to-head with Colorado State's head coach, and, and then more recently with Oregon head coach Dan Landing. They kind of exchanged some words last week. But, but ultimately, they both all also expressed a lot of respect for one another, right? And and then we also saw Ryan Day, who had some 
you know, fiery words after Ohio State's win over Notre Dame in primetime last week. But I'm curious, when it particularly pertains to Dion here, Dwight, what do you make of, of him really just being himself and, and the talking that he does? I, I do think it, it puts his team in a tough spot, more so in the spotlight, but I think they own it. You know, they sort of mirror his personality on the field. Yeah, I'm a, I've always been a huge fan of Dion, even when he played for the Cowboys, which uh, um, <laughs> um, I was always a fan of Dion. Um, I just think, you know, he's got a great story in regards to all the great things he's accomplished online. I mean, excuse me, in his time, in his prime, in his career. And I, I'm just amazed that he's doing such a great job at Colorado, a program that was in shambles before he took over. I think his players feed off him. And I think it's actually cool for people like me and you that do podcasting and blogging and radio shows and even television shows because he's kind of giving us a new look, and a breath of fresh air. And I'll just say this, man, um, as someone that played for two legendary coaches, someone like Mike Smith who yeah. coached in Hampton High School for 50 years. He coached 50 years. You know, he won two national championships, you know, 13 or 14 state championships in the VHSL. And, of course, playing for Frank Beamer and Bill Foster and those guys. I played for great class act coaches but i've always said there's different mm-hmm. ways to coach young men and before i got to high school and college i played for coaches like dion in the youth leagues and i think it's remarkable and it's pretty cool that you can see a guy like dion that can come in and he's got the drip and he's got the shades but he knows what he's doing he put together a great staff he's recruiting um mm-hmm. and he empowers those players and i think he made a great point when he said, I think some of these coaches are focusing on beating me, and I'm not playing. And if we, I was yeah. playing, you weren't going to beat me in my day. And he's bringing a lot of attention to his program. But I don't think for Dion it's personal. I don't think it's a situation in which he's trying to come in and disrespect opponents and coaches. I think he's just showing you a different way to lead. I think in a business such as college football and even in NFL, when you still don't see an abundance of African-American coaches, when you see a guy like Dion, it's like, wow, okay, there's a different way to lead and motivate. But the morals and values are still the same. He still believes on being on time, holding kids accountable, and suspending players if they go against the code of conduct. He believes in getting your education and making these guys to become great young men, future fathers and mentors for life after football. Respect for women? Thing. Yeah, respect for women. Same thing yeah. Pete Carroll pushes. Mm-hmm and other coaches in the mm-hmm. Big Ten at Maryland and all these other teams that we follow and cover, he's pushing the same mm-hmm. thing. It's just that when it comes to his persona, this is a guy that had an album out, Must Be the Money, back in the day. And, you know, he played <laughs> for the Ravens and the Washington Commanders, you know, known as the Redskins during that time. He played for, yep. you know, the Cowboys and the 49ers and everyone where he went. Of course, he played for legendary Bobby Bowden. He's been a champion. He's been a winner. And he's just must-see TV. I think it's great. And I'm actually okay with Ohio State's coaches and other coaches speaking out. I think sometimes as a fan of college football like I am in college sports, it's okay for these guys to be themselves. I think it's interesting instead of getting in the post-game press and saying we didn't execute or we didn't really follow through with this, give me the real. I think it's cool as long as you're not being abundantly disrespectful or going out your way to you know, embarrass people. I think it's great for the game. 
We're talking with Dwight Vick, former All-Big East offensive lineman for the Virginia Tech Hokies, right now on the BetQL guest hotline. Best smart beat the books with BetQL. Dwight, I think that's great insight, man. And and I think, too, kind of what you're saying, that this plays right into it, is that Dion connects with his guys. You know, they go out there, they play hard, and there's there's obviously there's there's a lot of talking that goes on, but we kind of mentioned this a couple of minutes ago. That's that's really always been there. Deion Sanders is just someone that's so well-known. He's had so much success at really every level of everything that he's ever done with regards to any level of football. It just kind of adds some extra juice. So you can understand where the extra attention comes from. But, buddy, I, we got to talk about our Hokies here because Virginia Tech is not a particularly good team right now. There's a lot of concerns that we could talk about, but... We, we know what their problems are, you and I, right? You and I have to vent to one another every now and then after these games go final or when we're on the podcast and trying to figure out exactly how this team moves forward. But for, for our listeners here in D.C. Who, who may not watch every Tech game like we do, when you watch this team, what stands out to you the most as to what they're missing right now? Oh, Danny, we sure we got to talk about Tech? <laughs> no, <just play. laughs> no, no, no. no. Um, here's the deal. Virginia Tech is a program. I'm not even going to say they're rebuilding because what are you rebuilding? You're building. I think Coach Pry, yeah. you know, in this short time there is trending the right way when it comes to recruiting. But when I watch a game, I don't see any leadership. I don't – at times, they, many times they come out flat. And they have enough talent where they should have beaten Rutgers and Marshall and even um, Purdue. Um, I just think yeah, I'm not even sure. going to you know, get crazy where I could say they should be undefeated, but I feel like in, in all of those games, they had a very good chance to win against opponents that probably were more experienced, but the game was there for the taking. I think they haven't really identified who the quarterback is, although I've been team drone since he came in late in the Purdue yeah. game uh, in the fourth quarter. But I feel like a lot of times they don't have an identity on offense. Um, at times we look like a spread offense, but, you know, last weekend against Marshall, you have uh, Tootin who had great runs. They jump on um, mm. Marshall 7 nothing. Drones had that great run up the sideline, and, you know, they went full command. They get a turnover right after that, but then they don't capitalize. They don't take the points. They go up 10 or 14 nothing. So then, again, you keep Marshall around, and all of a sudden Marshall at home, great crowd, good program, finally seizes the game. Like, Right now, Virginia Tech is not in a position where their players understand fully how to win. But I think we mm-hmm. complicate football when you look at X's and O's. And a lot of times, you mentioned the commanders before I came on. Many times it's about fight. Like, even when you talk about the commanders, they got down 21 uh, to 3 or whatever to Denver. Then they started playing. They started fighting. And all of a sudden, they yeah. came back. And that was a great comeback win on the road. That's the same thing with Virginia Tech football. You're playing at home. Lane Stadium for decades was arguably the toughest or top five places, toughest places to play. But they pretty much have been wetting the bed against power five opponents there. I think the last win there in the last couple of seasons have been against a very downtrodden Boston College team. So you really don't really have much to hang your hat on. And speaking of that, you know, I heard all summer in the preseason, ACC media day, the lunch pill mentality was back on defense. Well, the defense hasn't played horrible, but they haven't really been aggressive where I thought they would be. Um, and you just need more playmakers. You need more of a mindset of leadership to seize the game, especially when you're at home. I mean, I know I, I heard you joking. Um, I don't know who scheduled this game as a primetime game. Other than Pittsburgh <laughs> and Virginia Tech fans, everyone else will be watching something else. But with that being <laughs> said, 
this is a game, and I do not like this phrase even when I play, but I feel like if you're prying his staff and the players in Blacksburg, this is a must-win game because you're going on the road the following weekend against a very potent Florida State team, playing with a ton of confidence, top five team with you know national championship aspirations. So Pittsburgh, this is not a typical Narduzzi team. They'll be well-coached, they'll be physical, they'll play aggressive man-to-man, but this is a Pittsburgh team that you can beat at home. This this is a game yes. you have to win, and I think you got to seize the moment. And finally, I think when you talk about our Hokie Nation and the fans up here in the DMV and D.C. listening that follow Tech, I think their frustrations, and I speak to many of them in my DMs, they call, they text, they hit me up on Twitter. I think the frustration is, Danny, if you look at Duke and other programs on the Power 5 level that started with new coaches in recent years, have been quicker to mm-hmm. turn it around. And Virginia Tech right now is still sputtering along where – this is a season where you need to really see some progress, especially when, you know, prize and all the other things right as far as, you know, getting the fan base together, recruiting and connecting with former players and alumni. You get some wins behind your belt, you can really get some momentum. But right now, you lose this game tonight and you're staring down a really tough stretch after that. So <laughs> it's again this is a must win game. I don't really like that saying, Danny, because I always felt yeah. like when I played everything was must win. But if you're Tech, you need to win this game. You got to, because you've got number five Florida State looming in your next game after this. I don't think that they're overlooking Pittsburgh at all, because like you said, totally agree. This is a must-win game, and I think that that's probably the feeling in this in that locker room. But Dwight, I've only got like a minute or so left here, and you already, as you've done so many times, took the words right out of my mouth in that it's frustrating for myself, but obviously I think tech fans across Virginia and the country to watch a team like Duke succeed, get into the top 25. And and don't get me wrong, they deserve it. That's a good football team. Mike Elko is a good head coach. But are we really going to say that Duke's got a better roster than Virginia Tech does right now? Because Virginia Tech has had a better recruiting class than Duke eight of the last 10 years. I went and did the research, looked at 247 Sports, and and found that there's really no advantage at all that Duke has, except for me, it's at the top. Their leadership, head coach. They don't have first-time coordinators, guys that are are calling plays for the very first time. It it just doesn't seem like the tech should be this far behind, even if prize only in year two. I agree. I mean, you look at, you know, down the street from where we're at right now in Maryland, the Turfs, they got a good thing going with their yeah. coach. Um, you can look at a lot of programs on the Power 5 level in the Sun Belt and even in the Big Ten and the ACC, even on the HBCU level. Um, <laughs> new coach doesn't always mean old problems. Usually there's a, a breath of fresh air. Virginia Tech has the personnel to go to a bowl this season on their roster. It's a matter of whether or not the coordinators play with a sense of urgency, call plays, and empower the players to do so. Is the depth there? No, we're not even close to the Georgias and the Alabamas and Ohio States of the world where we were during the Beamer era. But respectful to my mm. Hall of Fame coach, I'm ready to move on past that. I love that era. Yeah. But I'm ready to see new expectations. But, I mean, heck, even Miami has a new coach in Crystal Ball, the guy that was there, played in Miami, and they're off to a great start. And Miami has had more talent just as much as anybody, and they've historically underachieved since going to the ACC, mm-hmm. except for a few years. But again, this is not a game now in this era of college football where you have to sit back and wait like back in the day and build and build. You have the portal, you have you know JUCO, you have prep. You can get talent and do it a little bit more at an expedited level than back in the day. So I'm hoping they turn around. I do think when you have two first-time coordinators on your staff, 
you better make sure you have someone in that building that understands how it takes to build the program and empower those players. So I'm hoping for a win tonight um, so I can win my tech stuff this weekend. Other than that, um, <laughs> you know, go Hokies, man. <laughs> I feel that, man. Hey, I feel that. I got I got my Bruce Smith jersey ready to rock and roll tonight, man. We need some good juju. We need some good vibes, right? Dwight, thank you so much for the time this morning, buddy. I'll talk to you very soon. Appreciate it, and enjoy the games today, bud. Absolutely. appreciate you as always. Thank you. Thank you, my man. That's Dwight Vick, a former All-Big East offensive lineman for the Virginia Tech Hokies. One more time, give him a follow on Twitter, at Vick757. All right, let's step aside. We'll take a quick break. Plenty more to get into today on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Big shout-out to my buddy Dwight Vick, a former All-Big East offensive lineman for the Virginia Tech Hokies, for joining us in the last segment. Yes, we did indeed talk some Virginia Tech. We did a little bit of commiserating, if you will, about Virginia Tech because of the status of that program where they are headed into a matchup with 1-3 Pittsburgh, 1-3 Virginia Tech hosting the Pitt Panthers. That is a primetime kickoff, 8 o'clock on the ACC Network. I'll be watching. I don't blame any of you out there listening, though, if you won't be watching, because as we've said, it is not one of the better matchups in Power 5 college football today. But and maybe this game that I'm about to reference here isn't necessarily one that you would have considered one of the better matchups, but it was certainly one of the more high-profile matchups of the day, and it is number 8 USC against Deion Sanders' Colorado Buffaloes. USC came into this game 4-0, 2-0 in the Pac-12. Colorado, meanwhile, 3-1, 0-1 in the Pac-12, coming off the loss to Oregon. And it is USC who is out to a 27-7 lead, 6-17 to go in the second quarter. Caleb Williams, D.C.'s own. 11 of 14, 187 yards and three touchdowns. Marshawn Lloyd on the ground for the Trojans, seven carries for 60 yards. That's good for 8.6 yards per carry and a touchdown. Meanwhile, Shadur Sanders, 12 of 20 for 74 yards, a touchdown and an interception in that touchdown went to Jimmy Horn Jr. So we'll keep an eye on USC Colorado as that game gets closer to halftime. We're wrapping things up on the show around 3 o'clock today, so it'll probably be right around then that the USC Colorado game is wrapping up too, especially if the trend continues to go the way that it is with this game because I imagine USC will probably have to call the dogs off at some point in that second half. You may not even see Caleb Williams take a snap in the fourth quarter there. But we'll keep you posted on it. Remember, UVA kicks off at 2 o'clock as well, so we're a little over 30 minutes away from that. But with only a couple of minutes here left in this segment, we're going to keep it short so we can get back on track, make sure that we're hitting all of our ins and outs here in today's show on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. But I did want to do a quick check-in on the Ryder Cup. And yes, I know the Americans did not look good either of the first couple of days, and the lead hasn't exactly grown for Europe today, and 
this was the best day for the United States so far, but it is going to be quite an uphill battle if the Americans want to have any chance at taking home this year's Ryder Cup. But according to the PGA Tour on Twitter, at PGA Tour, the day is now concluded over in Rome. Four balls Saturday, if you will, and for the session, the Americans won three matches to one, but they trail overall in the Ryder Cup 10.5 to 5.5. And so as we go through some of the matchups that we saw today, it was Sam Burns and Colin Morikawa who bested Victor Hovland and Ludwig Aberg. You had Brian Harmon and Max Homa also get a win over Tommy Fleetwood and Nikolai Hojgaard. The only winner of the day for the Europeans, Justin Rose and Robert McIntyre, they bested Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, the dynamic duo, the friends, Spieth and Thomas. And then wrapping things up in the Ryder Cup for the Americans today, it was Patrick Cantlay and Wyndham Clark who defeated Rory McIlroy and Matt Fitzpatrick. So I saw Patrick Cantlay, I believe, birdied the final three holes to give them that win there. So 10.5 to 5.5, and 14.5 points are needed to win the Ryder Cup. So Europe, four points away from getting it done. They'll be back out there early tomorrow. This, of course, taking place at Marco Simone Golf Club over in Rome, Italy. All right, we'll step aside. We'll take another quick break. I told you it'd be a quick segment. We'll come back. I'm going to wrap up this hour with a little bit of Nationals baseball talk, look back on some of the successes that they've had this season. But next segment, we'll rehash some of what we've got going on in the National Football League this week as well as some more college football. So keep it locked. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. Happy Saturday to you, DMV. Hope everybody is doing well out there today, wherever you might be listening to us. And we're on both 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980 today. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. I'm Danny Noakes, Mike Marr, in studio, producing the show. 800-636-1067, BetQL guest hotline open we just had our friend White Vic stop by, a former Hokies offensive lineman, played for Coach Beamer, give his thoughts on the matchup between Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh coming up today, but also some of the other stuff going on in college football. Deion Sanders and his Colorado Buffaloes currently trail the USC Trojans 27-7. That game is approaching halftime, just over five minutes to go there. We've talked some college football, looked at some of the other big matchups here going on across the land today. And a reminder, UVA at Boston College is coming up at 2 o'clock for any of you Wahoos out there. UVA, yes, 0-4, but hey, I'm a Hokie here. If you lined up UVA and Tech on the field today and those two teams played against one another, I don't know, man. The Cavaliers might still be better than them. Both teams have a long way to go in, in their, as Dwight Vick put it, not rebuilds, but just builds. <laughs> They're not really trying to rebuild anything. It's been quite some time since either program has had any sort of sustained success. Now, that being said, we've also got a big game for another area team here this weekend with the Washington Commanders going up against the Philadelphia Eagles, and that game taking place up in Philadelphia, 1 o'clock tomorrow. 
800-636-1067. Feel free to hit us up if you want to jump in on the conversation. What are your thoughts going into the Commanders-Eagles game tomorrow afternoon? How are you feeling? I mentioned at the top of the show, there's a bit of a sense, uh, well, certainly a sense of urgency, but it seems like there's a little bit of panic coming into this weekend's game with the Eagles because of what happened to the Commanders last week. They were absolutely lambasted at home by the Buffalo Bills 37-3, but I've also made the case that you're going up against two teams in the last couple of weeks that on paper, however you want to stack it up, no one figured that the commanders were going to beat either Buffalo or Philadelphia. Now, CNFL, upsets happen, weird things happen all of the time. You have to go out there with your best stuff every single week if you have any plans to win and to sustain that winning, by the way. So... It's not to say that the Commanders can't go up to Philadelphia and beat the Eagles this weekend. It will take an not only extraordinary effort, but extraordinary execution and for them to play extremely well against a Philadelphia Eagles team that is out to another quick start and they're clicking on both sides of the ball. Now, I have already mentioned that I think that the key matchup here in the Commanders-Eagles game this weekend is... The Commanders' defensive line versus the Philadelphia Eagles' offensive line. If you disagree, feel free to let us know. 800-636-1067. But I think it starts in the trenches. It often starts in the trenches. But when you talk about the Commanders who have so much invested into that defensive line, John Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, and now you finally got Chase Young back, right? Some other guys filling in as well. They, they, they actually have some depth there on the defensive line. You need that unit to step up. They need to be able to stop the run against an Eagles team that has been running roughshod over all sorts of good teams this year, including Tampa Bay, who, despite losing Tom Brady this offseason, I think is is at 2-1 and one already better than what we thought they were going to be. But the addition of DeAndre Swift to this offense does seem to give them a dynamic that they maybe didn't quite have before with Miles Sanders. So, can they stop DeAndre Swift? Can they stop the Eagles offensive line, who is probably the best in the game right now? Can they also get to Jalen Hurts? Jalen Hurts, three touchdowns, three interceptions this year. On the year, right? That's an average of one per game as they come into this game undefeated. Now, Hurts has not looked like an out-of-this-world passer so far in this early NFL season to me. He's obviously tremendously talented, and I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm not saying that he's not elite, that he doesn't belong in the top-tier quarterbacks. not saying that at all. But I'm saying if you're going to force Philadelphia to beat you in a particular sort of way, you would want to put the ball in his hands and force him to air it out, even though they've also got darn good receivers between A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and a good tight end in Dallas Goddard. They've got talent everywhere. There's, there's no debating that. But if you're going to force them to be one-dimensional in some way, force him to make plays from the pocket. Do not let him get outside the pocket and create chaos and, and use his legs to, to do what he does best, which is improvise, pick up yards where you least expect them, and, and then they pop off one of those big plays to either Brown, Smith, and this year it's been DeAndre Swift. It's just a, a well-oiled machine. But they can be stopped, and I think it starts with the defensive line for the Commanders, if, if that's going to be the case. 800-636-1067, BetQL guest hotline is open. We're going to go over there right now, where Ron is calling in from Ashburn. Ron, thanks so much for calling today. What's going on? 
great. Hey, it's a beautiful day outside today. Hopefully, uh, yes, it'll sir. be a beautiful day uh, tomorrow, and weather won't end, won't be a factor in uh, this game. It's at 1 o'clock, right? It is at 1 o'clock, yeah, up in Philadelphia. Yes, sir. Well, I've been around, former season ticket holder, been around the the franchise, we'll, we'll call it, because nobody likes the current name. Yeah. <laughs> um, franchise, <laughs> season ticket holder, club-level season ticket holder for a long time. And uh, while we've made strides in certain positions, place where we haven't made the stride is Ron Rivera. I don't trust him. Yeah. I don't think he's really a great coach. He must be a very well-liked person. But, his, mm-hmm. you know, as I said to your quick your caller screener, the offensive yeah. line is dreadful. And now you have a first-year starting quarterback behind an offensive line. And the NFL today is not run the ball and hope you can wear the clock down. you got to score points. Um, yeah. Because even yeah. successful like they were last year, that's how offensive linemen get hurt. And God forbid we have guys behind these guys. What do you think they're like? <laughs> So I'm, I'm not a fan of Rivera at all. I think he's done a poor job yeah. at addressing clear weaknesses. So that's my take, man. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Ron. I appreciate you calling in, man. So our, our guy, Ron from Ashburn, not a fan of Ron Rivera, who works in Ashburn. <laughs> I just thought that that was funny. But, you know, I, I hear what Ron is saying because I think that, a lot of folks are kind of frustrated with where Ron Rivera is just sort of with this team right now. A lot of folks figured that this was going to be Ron's last year anyway. And when you're talking about getting a new owner and what they decide that they want to do going forward, there are some factors there that are probably a little bit more difficult to predict. But you would think that down the road, the owner wants to pick their head coach of the future to lead the team into what they hope will be years and years of success. And then that coach will then pick the quarterback. But with an ownership change, things have kind of been thrust into this more chaotic cycle of events. And I've long said that I actually think Ron Rivera was the perfect coach to lead this team through the transitional period that the, that the franchise, as Ron put it, has been through the last couple of years from changing their name from the Redskins to the football team, from the football team to the commanders, from the ownership change, from Dan Snyder to Josh Harris and and his investor group to, I mean, just everything that's happened in and around the NFL and just in society over the last couple of years. I actually think Ron Rivera has kind of been the, the perfect guy for that. He's made a lot of mistakes from a football standpoint. There's no doubt about it. And when you start to look at some of the personnel decisions that have been made, he may or probably was given a little bit too much responsibility with regard to developing the actual roster. But when, when you start to look at the, the particular units of this team going into a matchup against Philadelphia, who's just so well-rounded everywhere, the offensive line is, is one of the places where I would have some concern. You know, at the top of the show, we talked about how the offensive line gets plenty of flack. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The offensive line gets probably, outside of the coaching staff, the most flack of, of any unit on this team. And and a lot of it is deserved, but some of it's not, right? Because I, there's very clear data 
to suggest that Sam Howell has had a sack problem throughout his career, not just here in Washington, but even when he was the starting quarterback at the University of North Carolina. And in college, that is something that should be happening even less because especially for a team like North Carolina who had the high hopes that they did uh, while he was their starting quarterback. And, and I'll never forget his final year there. The first week they went out, they got beat at uh, in Blacksburg by my Virginia Tech Hokies, and, and he did not look very good in that game. And it would kind of go on to be sort of the, the macrocosm of his season that year. So I, I think the offensive line needs improvement. I have to be honest too, right? Because this is – this is me pulling out uh, one of my fan cards out, out of out of my left uh, pocket chest, what have you. I've been bitter about the offensive line since Trent Williams left, right? Because I, I think that the franchise completely bungled the handling of Trent Williams, who's now probably the best offensive lineman in football. He's certainly the best left tackle in football, and those positions differ pretty greatly when you go from tackle to guard to center obviously so you could make an argument for some other guys but letting him go was a mistake i don't care about the injuries he's a hall of famer (laughs) seven pro bowls here in washington right you don't think that he could help out this unit i could make the same case by the way for brandon sheriff who also just got hurt trent williams isn't hurt to, to my knowledge but i just think that you know and and particularly Trent Williams leaving, had nothing to do with any of the coaches, right? None of the coaches, none of the players. That was that was between Trent, Danny Boy, and, and whoever else in the front office really, uh, you know, mishandled the, the, the whole brain tumor situation. Or I guess it was, uh, it was on his skull. He had, uh, he had a, a cancerous uh, mass removed from his head, did Trent Williams. Very scary. By the way, I watched his documentary earlier this year, Silverback. I think it's on uh, Amazon Prime. And he doesn't trash the the Washington franchise in that. Talks about some some misunderstandings, some things that he wished had gone differently, but he he doesn't trash them. So, you know, getting guys like Sam Cosme over the last couple of years, you get really excited about that, and they still have some developing to do. So, uh, you know, they're huge underdogs this week against Philadelphia, and and they should be, but... You know, maybe maybe it's not the worst thing. Nobody thinks that they, nobody thought that they could win in Philadelphia last year. And when you're coming off a loss like they, the the Commanders are, thirty-seven to three to Buffalo last weekend, you're even more unsuspecting as an opponent. So you got to come out, you got to punch him in the throat right away. And I'm not expecting because Ron from from Ashburn called in earlier this segment talk about how you can't just run the football and expect that to to really carry your team to a win by itself that's true but I think that the commanders can really control if if they're able to control the line of scrimmage mostly starting with their defensive line because Philly's offensive line I think is going to be the toughest unit to stop for them but if your offensive line the commander's offensive line can control some of that tempo get some success early on running the football maybe you open up some more opportunities for Terry to get open for Jahan Dotson and for Curtis Samuel, some of their other playmakers. Not to mention Logan Thomas is going to play this week, so we'll see what he factors in to be for the Commanders against Philadelphia 1 o'clock kickoff tomorrow. All right, let's step aside. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back, and we'll wrap up our number two. I want to do it with a little baseball. The Nationals got a win last night over the Atlanta Braves. Yes, no playoff baseball this year, but... Nationals fans should be, in my opinion, tremendously encouraged with the way that the 2023 season has gone. We're talking about it next right here on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. 
And I just saw some footage of Rory McIlroy getting absolutely heated leaving the Ryder Cup today. Team Europe, we mentioned a 10.5 to 5.5 lead over the Americans in this year's Ryder Cup. The Europeans only need four points to finish that thing off, to clinch. And Rory McIlroy was fired up. Didn't look like that it was happening on the actual course. He was actually getting into a car. Don't know what he was all fired up about, but... Rory was mad about something again. Who knows what it was? And by the way, we've got some tweets coming in on the Commanders. Their matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles tomorrow, 1 o'clock kickoff, a divisional game up in Philadelphia. I'm going to get to some of those tweets coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. Also, at the top of the 2 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to the Rooster, Chris Russell, one of the hosts over on the Team 980. Excited to get Chris on the show. Talk some commanders. We're going to spend pretty much that final hour talking all NFL football, looking at the commanders matchup with the Eagles. Also, uh, looking at some of the other big games in the NFL this weekend, of which there are certainly plenty. But for the next five or so minutes here, I wanted to give some credit to the Washington Nationals because I think that they have overachieved this year, although nowhere near the playoffs where this team was a year ago, I think they've taken some pretty tremendous strides forward. So the Nationals obviously got a win over the Atlanta Braves last night. Final score, 10-6. to It was actually Weems who got the win for the Nationals last night. 5-0 and is Weems this year. Pitched an inning, gave up two hits, one run. It was earned two walks, a strikeout on 19 pitches. Trevor Williams was the starter for the Nats last night. And the Nats waited until the, uh, the third to final game of the season to put up their highest home run total on the year. They hit five of them last night. Smith hit one, Thomas hit one, Ruiz hit one, Keyboom hit one, and Alou all went deep for the Nationals last night, 10-6. to Obviously, the Atlanta Braves sitting at 103-57, and probably the favorites to win the World Series this year. So really, any win over a team like that is big. And Atlanta, I don't think, is mailing it in at all right now, despite the fact that they've already locked up the National League East. But, man, the season that Ronald Acuna Jr. is is having so far, hitting three thirty six, the amount of stolen bases that the guy has had, my goodness. Can you believe that the Braves won a World Series without Ronald Acuna a couple of years ago? It's scary to think of, of now what they might be able to do in the postseason with him. But back to the Nats, because again, as I said, they deserve some credit. And last night's win, it was number 70 for the Nationals, which I find to be a major accomplishment. And I said, because I said this at the beginning of the year, getting to 70 wins for this team would require pretty much everything going right. And now here they are at 70 wins. And would you say that everything has gone right this year? No, absolutely not. And so judging it by those two metrics, okay, that's that's a pretty good 2023 campaign if you ask me. Let's remember, Nats lost Cade Cavalli very early on in the year, before opening day, as a matter of fact. You also saw guys like Joey Manessis, who came out of the gates kind of slow this year, especially when you compare his numbers to last year in the first couple of months of the season and what he was doing in the World Baseball Classic. The dude was a stud there for Mexico. But as has been said many times about this team in general and uh, on this station about the Washington Nationals, they were scrappy. They played a ton of close games this year. You had guys like Josiah Gray who took another major step forward you love to see it emerged as the Nationals' ace, if he wasn't already. But he made the All-Star game. 
and and maybe more important than than emerging as an ace seems to have you know emerged as a leader in the clubhouse and then you got to talk about guys like CJ Abrams who's just I think got the potential to be the Nats' most electric player, certainly from a positional standpoint. I'm not just talking about what he does offensively, but defensively as well. I mean, a lot of times in this business and in sports media, sports radio, certainly though, any sort of uh, any sort of show where you've got a host giving his opinion on something, you tend to make comparisons. And I think when you talk about a comparison for C.J. Abrams, it's truly impossible not to think about Trey Turner and CJ Abrams just moved into second all-time alone for single season stolen base leaders in Nationals history behind only Trey Turner and this is CJ's first full season with the Nats so I just I I really like the direction they've headed obviously you have Davey Martinez who got extended Mike Rizzo, the GM, also got extended. So there's a lot of anticipation, I think, that can start building for the 2024 season, right? And and there are a couple games left. But next year, I think that you'll probably see both Dylan Cruz and James Wood in the majors at some point, maybe a little bit later on, later in the summer, even early fall, right? August, September. We'll see. Because there's a lot that can change between now and then. And, and James Wood down there in the minors did go through a bit of a rough patch in, in his minor league season. But all things considered, I think he was he was one of their more standout players. Not to mention guys like Yo-Yo Morales out of Miami, who might not be a household name just yet, but... Keep an eye on him because I think he's a really good player. He might not be someone that you see up in the majors next year. It might take another two, three years before he gets up there. But I really like I I really like him, and I think they have another. They have some more players that uh, are also uh, among the same sort of caliber, right? So there's two games left for the Nationals. They play the Braves in Atlanta again tonight. Joanna Doan is going to get the start for Washington. First pitch at 7.30 right there, right here on 106.7 The Fan. Pre-game coverage is going to start at about 6.50. It's going to be just after Toby Altizer gets off the air. And then the Nats will wrap up their season tomorrow, 3 p.m. first pitch. Jackson Rutledge going out there to get another start for the Nats. He had his first start a couple of weeks ago. Kind of got roughed up, but then I thought he responded very well in his second start. And and I think this is really the the theme of, of the Nationals, at least for, for most of the guys and most encouragingly for, for most of the guys that are supposed to have bright futures. Maybe they come out a little bit slow. They don't start off as hot as you would like them to, but then once they settle in a bit, they start to get comfortable and they start to show you exactly why they were so highly touted. So let's get out of here. Let's step aside. We'll take a quick break. Hour number two is in the books. Final hour coming up next. We're going to chat with Chris Russell, the rooster from the Team 980. We're going to talk some commanders, so keep it locked. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 